0: Welcome to episode six. We are talking this week still about the basis of relationships. Last week, we talked about the basis of relationships between parents and kids. And this week, we are talking about the basis of relationships between siblings.
1: Yes. Uh, so this episode um, is, we're, we're going to talk uh, about some practical, some how-tos, but there is kind of some ideology we want to talk about on the front end of this Um because um, one of the ideas that we wanted to challenge as we got into parenting and, and started realizing we were having multiple, because this wasn't with our first, obviously, when you have a first, you don't have the sibling right. component. Right. Um, but when we were pregnant with our second, um, one of the ideas we wanted to challenge was this idea that, that siblings just fight. Um,
0: and, and at that time, we were hanging out with a lot of siblings in the student ministry.
1: Right, we had a lot of, of brother and sister pairs, and there, you know, were multiple sibling pairs in the student ministry, and they had issues, and there was that that sibling rivalry that you hear about. Um, and
0: there were things that I didn't address. I think sometimes because I just I just assumed they were brother and sister, and they right. just right. Right,
1: and and Farah, to to her credit, she's done very well with this, and she had she doesn't have any siblings per se. You got some step siblings.
0: I have some married and two siblings too, but, but right. not biological.
1: Right. So, and I, I have a lot of siblings in my family, but um, we we feel like this is something that we need to address because I, I don't think that has to be the case that there there has to be sibling rivalry in the home. And and I hope when you heard our kids uh, a couple episodes ago that you heard that they really are for each other. And one of the things we wanted was to have this team concept that we were all moving the same direction. Um, so our kids very much are on that same page that they are for each other, that there's not a rivalry, that they're competing against each other in, um, all these different aspects and things. And they, they're, they're argumentative to the point that they just want to, to be better than the other kid. Um, so we said in the last episode, we said it a couple of times and we haven't really unpacked it, but we've talked about that respect is the fundamental element of human relationships. And, um, I, I believe that, and that's, that's something that we, um, I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere in a book. I don't remember what book. Was it in
0: King Me? Or do you know?
1: I don't remember. Um, but thinking about the ideology of it, um, if you don't respect someone, you really don't have a basis for a relationship. If you are, are looking at someone you don't respect anything in their life about what they're doing or who they are, or who they are as a person, you're not going to have a relationship with that person, and and a lot of rivalry is rooted in a lack of respect. So I'll I'll go to probably the easiest example. Um, living here in the south, and if you haven't figured it out, we're from the south. Um, <laughs> we you we might
0: not pick up on it from David. We
1: have a lot of sports teams, particularly college teams, and there is a lot of rivalry amongst college teams, and and there is a huge lack of respect between college rivals. Now, I don't think the players and the coaches show that disrespect. I think it's more among us as the fans, people who never participate in the games at all <laughs> and have no real say in what happens on the outcome of the game. But we disrespect each other a lot, and there is a huge lack of respect. So when it comes to there, – there are marriages that I know that struggle during football season because they just can't respect the other's – football team or or whatever so up in other parts of the country i know that that pro teams are uh have some of that same kind of rivalry and that that bad blood and that kind of stuff Um, we don't experience that on the professional ranks down here as much as mostly around colleges Um, so i'm not going to tell you what our college affiliation is because you will automatically start tuning me out if i tell you who if you know who if you know us and you know who we pull for then uh, congratulations to you, um, but if you don't, then you can just guess. and You can shoot me an email and guess. I don't, I don't care. All right, so this concept of sibling rivalry, we were wanting to um, kind of challenge that assumption that it had to be there, that you, if you were going to have siblings, that they were going to compete. Um, I started looking and getting ready for this episode. I looked up the definition of rivalry because so, we all know what it is. Right, we, I
0: mean, kind of,
1: but I, I couldn't. I couldn't put my hands on the definition of it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to Google it. Good old Google, come come back with a, a definition. The definition that come back came back on Google was competition for the same objective or for superiority in the same field. I'm like, okay, all right, some some competition for the same objective. Let, let's think about that. And the the next kind of definition block down, I really liked. Um, It said, a rivalry is the state of two people or groups engaging in a lasting competitive relationship. Rivalry is the against each other, that's in quotes, against each other spirit between two competing sides. The relationship itself may also be called a rivalry and each participant or side a rival to the other. And when I was thinking about, I, I saw that definition and I'm like, okay, we are literally choosing to define and characterize the relationship between siblings as a rivalry, like that is the definition that they are against each other.
0: And and we're talking we when we say we right now we're talking like culture Col- culturally culture. right that, media and and we just we just and pass we just that off accepted and are like yeah it's sibling rivals it's like,
1: oh it's just sibling I mean I've heard several times in, in in my life with kids and when our kids are hanging out with with other kids when they were younger oh it's just sibling rivalry. We could, I cannot tell you that that is the farthest thing from what I want for my children's relationships to be defined as a rivalry.
0: You cannot tell us
1: that? I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I, okay. I I don't want that to be the, the case because that that is the antithesis of what we wanted our children's relationship to be. We wanted them to be on the same page. We wanted them to be pulling for each other. But unfortunately, I think what happens a lot of times and what we had to combat so much was we build in competition into our family models unintentionally. Mm-hmm. It's not – again, we've talked about all this is on purpose. We want to do things on purpose and take the well, relationships that, where you want to go on purpose. And what we, – we even have to take our kids' relationships with each other where they want to go on purpose because kids can't direct this. They can't say – Oh, hey! I'm gonna respect my sibling. I mean, when when our kids were babies, they don't understand the concept of respect. The word of respect, they don't understand the currency of respect. They don't. None of that makes sense to small children. Now, if you've got older kids and your teenagers, yeah, you you can have some of that conversation, and they'll understand the concepts and that kind of stuff. But like, if, if you're kids are, if you're trying to play with one or work with one and the other one comes in and tries to interrupt that time, you can't say, Hey, respect mommy's time with so, right. I mean, Dax and Cole wouldn't have understood that when they were, you know, babies, you you can't build that identity and that cult, that language in your family from an early age. But I do think you can start to build the concept of respect and helping them understand that but you're going to have to do different words and different things because I think naturally kids are going to be competing when they come, when they're younger. And our boys are 22 months apart, so they're relatively close. I think think birth order and and gaps of ages are going to have some play into this.
0: They will, but, I mean, they kind of do because there's a gap, a big gap between that five-year gap between Corwin and the boys, but there's still this...
1: That concept of, of rivalry could still be. I, yeah, I could see where they could compete. Right. If if yeah, uh, so it may not play as much into it as I think it might. I, I don't. We're we're not psychologists. We are not um, counselors in any shape form, or fashion. Fair is educated from a speech therapist perspective and how to communicate and build communication in the home and that kind of thing.
0: And have had a little bit of psychology, but and, and, not and,
1: right. So don't don't hear this as we are the end all be all. But having read a lot of books and spent a lot of time. There are resources out there that we're not just coming to these conclusions off of a whim. These are things that we have looked at and read and, and have come to believe. So, But this, this sibling rivalry where they're competing, most of the time what kids are competing for more than anything else is attention. That is their – when children are small and even teenagers as they get older, they are competing for attention, and I think we have to be very intentional and, and purposeful in how we administer that attention and how we build that, fill that need for attention amongst our kids. Um, and again, our model, flipping by all the way back to the model, our model was we were trying to model our parenting after how God parents us. So one of the things I did want to bring up is, is this rivalry – showed up even in God's relationship to Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel were brothers. They're in the Bible, if you don't know that. Um, They were both sacrificing to God. Which one was fruits and vegetables and which one was, I don't remember.
0: I'm pretty sure that Abel was fruits and vegetables. I think so. Was farming and Cain was. Was the animals. Was the animals. Pretty sure.
1: And God had instructed them and told them how to do their sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Abel sacrifices were accepted by God. Cain's were not. And Cain got jealous that God accepted the sacrifice of Abel and not his. Well, ultimately, Cain made a choice to not give God his best. So he was mad at Abel for Abel being accepted and him not being accepted. But it wasn't Abel's fault. Abel gave God his best. Cain didn't. And that rivalry that was created ultimately where Cain killed Abel um, that rivalry that was created was created because of his choices. Now, we talked a lot
0: about choices, about
1: choices a, a week or so ago, uh, or a couple weeks ago, however long you've, it's been since you've listened to that podcast. Um, this is one of the reasons we try to focus on choices with our kids because rivalry is a choice. I can choose to disrespect my uh, friends who are fans of an opposing team or not. That's a choice. I make that choice consciously to say, I don't like that team, so I don't like those people. Same thing happens with the siblings that I think they consciously choose, I want what they have. I want that attention that they're getting. I want more. I'm not getting enough. Whatever those things are, I think there is this idea that training in choices and teaching them language of choices is going to help in this. We said it was for the parent-child relationship but I think that same concept is going to carry into the sibling relationship as you train and teach in language of choices.
0: I do agree, and I've seen it play out. I mean, that was a biblical example, but a a more modern-day example is when you have two children sharing a bedroom and you have one that's choosing to not put up their laundry and you have another one that chooses to put up their laundry. A lot of times that cleaner more the one that's that's more naturally bent or in that season of of being home more um, will start to put up the stuff for the other one and and that person just becomes less <laughs> likely to put their stuff up and so when you when you have the conversation with them about being choosing to to appreciate what you have, choosing to appreciate what what belongs to you and being responsible for your stuff um Then that doesn't take away from the relationship. Um, I don't know if that Hmm. makes sense, but
1: okay. So, in the rivalry arena of sibling rivalry, I think the conversation of choices is valid. Very valid. Training is good, but when kids are ultimately competing for, and and I think the main thing they're competing for are parents' attention you're going to see that rivalry rear its head more than others. And you can see that as um, when a kid is young and a new baby is born and the focus and attention goes to the new baby because it has to, that baby needs more attention. The older child is going to start to act out to try to get some of that attention because it, and, and the child can't, they can't verbalize these things. They don't know what's going on inside them. They just know they don't like how they feel. So they are going to be, um, lashing out and doing, and, and you've, if you've had multiple kids and some of your kids have started to get older, you've probably seen some of that. Um, same thing happens in rebellion. when, Even if it, it's late in the teenage years, when kids start to rebel, a lot of times what they're rebelling against isn't necessarily the rules or the what's set up in a place. It's that they really want their parents' attention. They're trying to act out to get the parents' attention. I'm not saying that's always the case. There are multiple factors that key into that. But a lot of times, as you start to see little seeds of rebellion planted in your kid's life, a lot of that is a, a hey, I need you. I need your attention. I want you to be invested in what's going on in my life. Um, when we would, um, uh, when we were student pastors, um, when we would counsel parents, a lot of times parents would come to us and say, hey, I've got this going on with this kid. The, the first thing we started to do was try and point, hey, how can you spend some regular time with your kid? How
0: connected are you? How,
1: how can you, if you're not connected, how can you get more connected? Because a lot of times what they started to see is, hey, we were really connected, and I thought that was going to carry us through, but that connection has to be maintained.
0: And and we read all of that in a book.
1: Right. That was in a book. <laughs> that was not our general knowledge that we just came up with. So they, they parents, and, and I think we, there are moments that we have been guilty of it too, that you think, oh, okay, my connection's good. I can take a break for a while. I can just coast for a while. And that's not the case with teenagers because teenagers leak. And the world that they live in and the emotions that they go through. drains them. It, it drains them and they leak and they need to be refilled. And um, we as Christians even leak. And the Bible talks about a continual filling of the Spirit. We, we can't live off of the successes and the great things God's done for us.
0: Or the connection that we've had to Him in the past.
1: Right. We, we can't live off that from 10 years ago. We need a new, for God's mercies are new every day. And they're new every day because we need them every day. <laughs> so God is very specific and intentional about maintaining that relationship with us daily. And the longer we go without that connection to God, the, the harder it's going to be to make the choices we need to make. Same thing with teenagers and our kids, that if we're not constantly maintaining that connection, you're going to start to see some rebellion because they're going to be asking for your attention, but they're not asking for it the way you think think they would ask for it. They're not gonna say, hey Dad, can we go hang out, can we go play paintball? Can we go to the mall and do whatever, mom? No, they're, they're going to no, I don't want to do that and they're gonna they're gonna fight back with you. Um, they get snarky. They get a little snarky. So that that rebellion is, is also um, it starts to show some of that need for attention. Uh, again, I think attention is the main point of rivalry early among kids and it starts to build a pattern of rivalry that gets perpetuated even in successes. So if you've got one kid that's super successful, say in sports and another kid that's not, um, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox here. Yeah, it's okay. Ferris faces. You can't see her face. She's <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, what are you going to say? You know what I'm going to say. Um, but when, when one kid is super successful and another kid is not as parents, If we are constantly using the language of, oh, I'm proud of you, I'm so proud of that achievement, I'm so proud of your accomplishment, I'm so proud, and we're putting out on all the social medias, oh, man, so proud, so-and-so did this today, that pride is going to be misinterpreted by other kids a lot of times when they're having success that you are not proud of them. Because they don't have those same successes because now we as parents, we can logically say that's not, that is not the case. I'm proud of what they do and I'm proud of what you do. But do you want to say something? I mean, you're going to get there. I am going to get there. <laughs> um, but the kids can't discern that. And so when they're seeing that pride in an area, they either want to mimic that and they want to try to be like that person and they want Trying to live up to that standard so that you're proud of them too. Um, what Farah and I have chosen to do, and this is very intentional and I'll call it a choice, we have chosen, we never, and I say never, and you're supposed to never say never, but I do say never, we never tell our kids we're proud of them for an achievement,
0: for a result,
1: for any kind of result that they are uh, working in. So if Dax has a, a success in golf or um, Cole has a success in school. We never say, man, we're so proud that you were able to get that A or you were able to win that tournament. Or if Corwin does something um, amazing, writing a paper, oh, we're so proud of that paper. We n- we never tell our kids we're proud of them for any accomplishment or a results-based thing. It's just not – I don't believe it's language – and words matter. I don't think it's language that communicate what we really mean.
0: However.
1: But we do tell our kids – On a very regular basis, a consistent basis, that we are proud of them for who they are. Because let's let's run this to the logical conclusion: Um, Are you less proud of your kid if they don't accomplish those things? And and I had somebody, I had this conversation with somebody that I worked with uh, a couple of years ago, and he's like, "So if your your kid's a a loser, drunk, that strung out on drugs, you're absolutely, absolutely, I'm proud of that kid. I'm proud of who they are. I'm proud that they are my kid. I am never." going to be not proud of my kid. And if if we're standing up somewhere and somebody who's, this, that, one's mine. that one's mine. He's mine. She's mine. I don't care what they're doing, where they've been. I'm proud that that is my God has given them to me. They're my gift and I am proud of it. I don't care how shiny they look. I am proud of them. And we are very specific in how we do that. So we communicate to them. Now, when they do achieve something, we're excited for them. And we use that word. We're happy that you, oh, that's so good that you did that.
0: Or we congratulate them on all the work they did.
1: Right. Because here's the thing. Siblings can participate in the happy or the excited. Excited. They can participate because Cole is excited when Dax achieves something. And Dax is excited when Cole achieves something. Or Corwin is so excited when her brothers achieve something. Like it's so, such a big deal. They can't be proud. There's there's this disconnect in them that I can't be proud of. They did that. I can't be proud of that, but they can be excited. And that's the, the difference in the language. And, and um, you'll probably hear it again somewhere on this podcast, but words matter and how you use words. And it may be like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just semantics. It, it's really not. We are very specific in the words that we use in our house. Like um, we don't say that it is a living room. We call it a family room. And by gosh, we get together. We just end up as a family in that room. Words matter, and and we have directed that culture of our home for the last eighteen years, and we've done it on purpose. So we try with our words not to reinforce rivalry. So we try to give our kids the attention that they need, and how much do they need? Just a little bit more. I, I, I don't I don't know what the answer is.
0: I, and it's different. It's different seasons. It's different. It's different for the kid. Like you just have to to keep a pulse on it. Like right. what.
1: You got to stay connected to your stay kid connected. to know, hey, what do you what do you need right now?
0: And I will say, this is not the resource for today, but but Dana Gresh has a checklist actually in both of her books, keeping the good in your boy and keeping the little in your girl. Even for teenagers, you can modify the the checklist, but you can go down that checklist, and it basically will tell you how connected you are to your kid. <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs> I haven't done that checklist, by the way. So <laughs> Farron has done that checklist, I'm sure. I
0: do on a regular basis.
1: But, but I have, I've never seen this checklist, nor did I know it existed. So I'm sure Dana Gresh has done an amazing job with it. Um, so rivalry, I think, is born out of this need for attention. And I think the best place to talk about attention and how to give your kids attention um, is healthy attachment. So Farah, as a speech therapist, has spent um, a lot of time in, in understanding this idea of attachment because it does play into how a child communicates and, and those things. So she's going to talk about some ideas on fostering healthy attachment. The goal of, of this segment here to talk about it is to help build attachment between kids and multiple kids so there's not that competition and that rivalry that's created trying to get your attention as a parent. So hopefully we're connecting those dots for you. Um, and, and we will talk about some of the practical things we did with our kids as she's doing this to, to, to where we didn't have that rivalry. So let's just, and, and as we get to the end of this, we'll, we'll throw out some other kind of caveats with it. But maybe you can go ahead and start kicking some of that healthy attachment stuff. <laughs>
0: okay, so attachment starts with the child and the parent, um, and that's why we talked about that last week. Um, attachment is cyclical so cyclical, cyclical okay um <laughs> it goes in a cycle <laughs> right that's good kids will venture out away and explore and then they will encounter something that they need help processing or does it feel good or whatever and they will turn around and they will come back and they need our hands and our arms and our attention to be there, ready to receive them and to help them process, and um, and then they go back out again, and, and it, I mean, it happens over and over and over in in their relationship. The same thing happens in the sibling relationship. They move away, and David's going to talk about that in a little bit, but with their development, but um, but the main thing, the, the best words for attachment is that attachment sometimes ruptures, but in the psychology world, they talk so much about repair, and repair is so possible at any age, at any stage, whatever. If if you lean into it, and we're going to put in the show notes um, a resource that is that that talks about this, and it has a really good like little YouTube video um, that shows that whole that whole cycle of going out. And coming back and a lot of times the going out starts you know pretty early like around between 10 to 18 months and that baby that's been so clingy to you that that has needed you and wanted you and and been so attached literally sometimes to you is then pushing away from you and a lot of times parents will take that personally when that's not that's not personal at all they just are going to explore And they need you to be there, supportive and ready to receive them when they come back or when they encounter something that they don't really understand what to do with.
1: And this is just in a normal developing child. This is every normal developing child. Every child. This happens. (laughs)
0: This happens. There's
1: nothing that we do as parents to cause it, create it, condone it. It just happens. (laughs) It
0: just happens. It's part of their development. It's part of the way that God is growing and, and, and moving their brain, and he allows us this. He allows us this going out and exploring and this returning, and he receives. And he allows it to go, us to go out again, and, and he receives. Um, and so we can imitate that, allowing them to push away and not taking it personal but being there to receive. But um, where that gets ruptured is when they go out and we get offended, and so then we're not there when they come back um and that causes some tension in the relationship and it can be in in sibling relationships as well disagreements are a tool that really give us a window into the person and a lot of times we think that they're totally bad disagreements are horrible but um but they're not they give us a they give us an opportunity to learn what that person's thinking and feeling and no, it may not be exactly what we're thinking and feeling, but that doesn't negate either either one of those perspectives. Um, and if we lean into it and are there to learn from each other, then the attachment goes, grows stronger. So,
1: and there are other things that can fracture attachment, right? There's oh, there's uh, a lot trauma.
0: List. I mean, hospitalization, things, and the, and we dealt with that. Like one of ours was, you know, in the hospital for a pretty bad injury and i was there when the injury happened and his trust of me i mean he was a toddler but we had to we had to do some repair we had to work on you know on that and and come back around because it wasn't there was nothing i could have done to stop the injury (laughs) it was an accident but um
1: and i I don't think just to kind of bounce off that story a little bit i don't think we recognized that that rupture in in the season
0: we didn't recognize it we the started
1: season. to see symptoms of it later yes and it it was a couple of years of dealing with this fracture in our relationship. relationship and it was it was both of us i mean he was he was kind of fractured from both of us and there were some acting out and some some issues that um we had to deal with because we we, we didn't know we needed to repair it
0: right but as as i learned about repair and like, I mean he was older, like, you know, and some of this stuff seemed kind of um, babyish or immature or childish. whatever childish, but um, but I still, as I studied it, was like, okay, but this is possible. And so I'll just you know I'll give it a, give it a try and see what happens. And it really did a lot to repair. and God designed us to heal. He created us and hardwired us to heal. In our body, in our mind, but also in our relationships. And he—that that is what he does. He he repairs. And- right. So this,
1: this cycle that we're talking about, but I think, played out in our, our child, but also played out in the relationships with his siblings. Yes. We saw that disrepair. We saw that fracture that he had with us in that attachment. So his attachment with us was broken. His relationship with his siblings also deteriorated because he was then he didn't necessarily trust us. So the relationship we had with him didn't allow him to trust his siblings either. And there was some, there was some tension and some fight and some anger that was there. Um, And, and to be honest, it was, it was really difficult season of parenting. It's probably one of the most difficult. and, And we talked about in the second episode that it's hard and there's a lot of work. Well, this, this was one of those seasons but Farah and I were committed to working really hard. Farrah figured some things out and saw some things and learned some things. She's like, hey, I think we need to do some things differently. And we started doing some things differently, and we started to see some changes back in him as he started to see that repair and that we were reaching out and trying to make that repair with him. It started to mend our relationship, but also started to mend the relationships he had with his siblings.
0: Yes, and I will say they – they do want our attention, but they also want each other's attention, and we'll get into some of that um, as we talk. But, but that also, when he was in the hospital and he didn't have that attention that um, that he normally had from his brother, because you know it was just, a, I mean that that had an effect too on the relationship, and there needed to be some repair. And then, as the brother developed, that that changes too. Um,
1: so this this lack of attachment and the healthy attachment created some rivalry amongst our kids that created some conflict. But again, I think you and I were very committed to that's we're not going to accept that. Right. That wasn't that's not we could have easily said all right well we're just in that sibling rivalry phase right. and they're just but I don't th- I think if we had not gone back in and repaired it I think they would still be fractured today. I agree. And we would be fractured and I think we would have a lot more tension and stress in our family if we hadn't have done the work to repair it. right? Um, and I don't, I'm not going to say it was hard work. It was just consistent. And we had to be consistent in what we were doing to try to repair that.
0: Well, and it's not something that I knew, like I had to, I had to look for it. I had to study it. That's, that's one of the ways that I found out about the, the resource that I'm sharing is through looking for those resources and looking for, you know, what, what did I, what, where were the gaps and right. how?
1: <laughs> and we were, we were looking at counseling and those kind of things is kind of the world we were looking in. Um, and, and counseling may help with that. I, I don't know. We, haven't, we didn't do a specific counseling session for that. Um, but counselors, I'm sure, are very astute and keen to know, hey, there's fracture there. But
0: I did learn about it from a counselor that was putting out community resources that were more preventative. So she mm-hmm. was trying to catch things before they got to the phase that they needed intensive counseling. Right,
1: okay. Which is good because it was super helpful for it us. It was super helpful. And we're very <laughs> thankful for that person who you will share later or resource <laughs> that you will share later. Um, what we, we were going to talk to and try and share some of the things that we did to, as we were forming Healthy Attachments, we were building Healthy Attachments, some of the things we did to build teamwork with our kids as opposed to rivalry among our kids.
0: Well, it started in infancy with Cole because um I had seen I had seen siblings that were counter to culture, and so I knew it existed and I started talking to their parents and and doing you know looking into resources and stuff and I was surprised to find out how important skin to skin contact was for siblings of infants when the infants come home and and just having them um You know, have on sleeveless shirts when they hold the baby um, and let the baby be, you know, just in a onesie or or whatever. Um, And even sleeveless shirts, I bought sleeveless shirts forever. I don't like sleeveless shirts, they're not my favorite style for kids. But sun's
1: out, guns out, baby. But
0: but I intentionally chose those outfits for the boys and for Cordwood when they were tiny because it gave them more of an opportunity when they hugged and when they. Um, did the team carries and stuff like that to, to have more skin-to-skin contact. Um, also, huge bath blankets for the pool where they had to share. So they would sit on one towel, and then they would be wrapped up in their swimsuits together for the body heat. They thought they were getting warm, and I would tell them, you're going to be warmer if you both get in this. But they were having skin-to-skin while they had a snack or a goldfish or whatever. Um, so that's a big a big thing for just from the very beginning and then face-to-face um time holding each other while while being read to when their babies um having that older one sing songs to the baby even before the baby's born so the baby knows their voice just like mom and dad's voice um before they arrive um that's like from the beginning and then as they get older um you know things interrupt like one goes to school and um, and you have this interruption in what they're doing and so one of the things that we did was we started having brother camp one summer when they would come back together at the beginning of the summer Um, and I just kind of tried this one year the it was the year that Dax came home and it was just so fun to watch how much they loved us. we did it for one day the first year and then they loved it so much we turned it into a week the next year and then as they got older and our our lives got more busy we would just keep one morning a week during the summer set aside for just brother camp and then of course we had the girl and it changed to sibling camp um but doing things that were not competitive just for connection like team carries um where they had to both be carrying one object through an obstacle course or
1: and think think team building targets
0: exactly trust stuff that you do in corporate
1: america to do team building among your team it's the same concept you can google team building activities and anything that comes up is fair game with your kids exactly Yes. like this is this is a huge component for them building we didn't compete against each other for You know, just leave them to their own devices, and they sit on the video games, and they play video games and compete, and who's better, and they're playing against each other and those kind of things. We didn't do a lot of against each other stuff in in our life Um, because we were focused on building them together. It it was a huge deal for us to have them on a team as much as we could.
0: Even when we played board games and stuff, a lot of times they would be on a team, and they would be against me. Mm -hmm. Or, um,
1: Or everybody played to finish
0: or everybody it
1: it wasn't winning wasn't the goal finishing was the goal now before you start to turn this off and say oh these guys are everybody gets a trophy people I'm not one of those people we are not those people we believe competition is healthy and Dax goes out and competes most almost weekly and Cole goes out and competes for golf and those kind of things I think competition is great but you don't have to have competition in your family
0: well, and even if you do have competition in your family cuz I know a lot of a lot of families do enjoy competition, it's just that I think there is a good percentage if you have more like so if you're like 60% connection, 40% competition. Right. Um, You know, you just make sure that you want to have, for every competitive thing you have, you have two or three things that are connecting.
1: Right. And we do play, we play board games against each other and we compete, you know, exploding kins. We talked about that a week or so ago. Right. That's, that's the thing. And and there's a winner in that. And we're, we're, we are, the things we're talking about not competing in are things that it's unnecessary to compete in. Build teams more than you compete against each other. Um, One of the things that we have done and we have taken some abuse for it in, family and circles and those kind of things is at, at Easter (laughs) we would have multiple, everybody would have a golden egg that had their name on it that they were looking for. So all three kids had a golden egg with their, you know, big money prize or their big candy prize, whatever was in it. Um, because I didn't feel Easter's Jesus didn't compete like you don't have to compete for Jesus. Everybody gets as much as you want. So I didn't There's want plenty East them. East and, and and at Christmas we don't do like white elephant Christmas stuff where you're doing the stealing present. That Jesus isn't stealing anything from you. I don't think we need to condone that. That's not that this one of my personal soapboxes that you, you don't have to create competitions for fun. That that you can do teamwork activities and everybody is achieving a goal activities and you're encouraging each other and cheering each other on and doing those kind of things that it's building you up not competing to where someone feels like oh I'm less than or more than someone else.
0: I think one of my favorite things that we ever did for Easter this is just a random was when we got the big Lego set and we put different like the different bags in their their big thing and then they had to find all three of the eggs together to to put the whole thing together. Um, yeah, I think that
1: was a rain-out Christmas that we had er, to do indoors. No, it
0: was a rain-out Easter. Sorry, rain-out Easter. Yeah, or, sorry, a rain yeah. Out Easter yeah. That, it got rained out, and we had to do it. Yeah. We had to do
1: indoors. And so they spent the afternoon doing the Lego set. So that was kind of unintentional, but we did it. Right. So any other fostering healthy attachment ideas? We're running out of time, um, so I'm, yeah. trying to, I'm trying to I'm, I'm wrap trying to go up quick. So here. as
0: they get older, though, um, some of the things that, that we did to try to foster this was if they were fighting over an object or something then that thing went to time out not one or the other of them um and we've also it, you have to invest your time and the parents have to invest their time in the the sibling relationship they have to invest money in it they have to guard some margin for it like I said like that Tuesday morning was set aside and even if we got invited somewhere, I would say, I'm sorry, we have something going on that day. Can we do a different day? Um, but investing that money, we've also s- set aside a budget for them to have stuff together. And it started as little like trips to the gas station, I mm-hmm. think. And, or um, Dollar
1: Tree. Or there dinner.
0: were several times that I took the boys before Corwin was even born, so they were little. And I would take them to go to an ice cream shop, and I would sit at a totally different table. They were at a brother mm-hmm. hangout, and I was there supervising, yeah. but they were – They were having a date. They were together <laughs> um, to the arcade, that kind of thing. Um, and some of the things that we did to decrease conflict um, was if they were amping up and they were playing and, and they were having you know a little bit of, of struggle, we had these two – photo albums that were of silly pictures of them. And I would say, don't y'all think we need to take a break? And they would take a break, and they would both look at the funny pictures, and they would be laughing hysterically at the funny pictures together. And then they would get back to playing, and it would be it would be all right, all good. Um,
1: so, again, a million different things as she's going through this list. All of it geared at fostering relationship, not competition. They both got her attention. Now, did they get equal amounts of her attention or my attention? Probably not. Um, Different kids needed different amounts in different seasons, but we were focused as parents on, I didn't come home and sit down in front of the TV and start playing Xbox or watching television. I came home and was like, Hey, all right, what do you need me to do? All right. Hey, take Cole and go do this. Or Hey, take Dax and do this. Or Hey, I got to go do this tonight. Do you want me to take one of the kids? We were fostering relationship, giving them attention where we could so that they didn't feel like they had to compete for it. They didn't have to ask for it. We were, investing Ahead in them and and here's and this this literally just hit me i think if your kids beg for your attention when they're young you will beg for their attention when you're older oh, wow. as they get to be teenagers we don't have to beg our kids to hang out around they look like literally fair and i were hanging out in our room the other night and our <laughs> our two boys our, our teenage boys i don't know if
0: they want you telling this okay
1: all right i don't do that i think they you were hanging just... out with us we'll just put it that way they were hanging out with us it was <laughs> late at night
0: and we were thankful
1: We were thankful thankful. that they were just hanging out with us (laughs) and and we were sitting together, hanging out in our our little bitty room, but our our kids choose to hang out with us more than they choose not to. And we love it. We love being together, but I think that's the, the rewards of putting in that time early. uh, So, but we're at 40 minutes on this thing. So I think we need to get to um, just the activity and the resource quickly uh, and try to wrap this thing up. So the activity we were going to talk about was do a teamwork obstacle course, um, where you're not competing, seeing who can do it the fastest, or it, it, it's a team event that that it's a relay together. If you've got four or five kids, get them all involved. Do as much as you can with it, um, to where they are working together to achieve and accomplish a goal and do um, get to the end of the obstacle. I mean, everybody needs you got to be carried here, and you got to. Help somebody get over here, and you're helping each other. Farah did this countless times with our children while I was at work or, or gone somewhere, and they they still talk about it today that they loved doing those teamwork obstacle courses. It's a little harder now with our boys being older, and they do it with Corwin still um, in the summers. I'll do a couple of them, but it's just harder. We don't have big obstacle course space. I um, mean, we've, we've
0: done some pretty good ones at the. We've house, done though. some pretty
1: good ones at the house, but
0: but they are bigger, so <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hard to do an obstacle for a six foot tall person. It,
1: it is. Jackson's <laughs> almost six two, so it's it's difficult. It, the so.
0: obstacle course started that first time in our family room, and they went over a bench, under a table, um, through a little tent they had, and into their bedroom, and they had to fold a bathcloth together, like. Right.
1: Like, (laughs) super simple. Super lame, actually. But way different now with older kids. But we still figure out a way to make it work. We don't make excuses to make it work. That's the activity. Um, Do a teamwork obstacle course with parents be involved in it, kids be involved in it. I'll do it together, teamwork together, build that team. Um, and try to do a couple of those. And it's
0: not a competitive obstacle course. No. It is a, like, if you can carry, if you can team carry something through the obstacle course where they're working together, that gets the the most, that gives the biggest bang for your buck.
1: Right. And then the resource. The
0: resource is going to be that, that YouTube video um, from the Circle of Security International. Um, and it's just like, I think it's four minutes long. It's not a big thing, but it just kind of goes through that, that rupture, repair, and but but also the exploration and the return. Um, so, All
1: right. If you want some more um, ideas on fostering healthy attachment, Farah, I'm sure has tons of other examples that we just don't want to sit here and draw on and talk about forever. Right. Um, trying to be respectful of time, and we were terrible at it tonight.
0: Mostly, it is just pushback on culture.
1: Yeah, pushback on that idea that siblings have to fight or there has to be a rivalry. Um, define the relationship you want your children to have and don't let it be defined by rivalry. You don't want, when your kids are 30 and 40 years old, you don't want them to be rivals. And it's not something that they just grow out of because they mature most times. If you build rivalry into their relationship now, it will always be there.
0: Or not build it. It's That's a, that's a path of least resistance thing.
1: Right. If you allow it to just grow and fester more than build it. Um, but if you intentionally build in that teamwork and that, idea that we are giving you attention and again it starts at that place of attention with parents um that they want your attention but they want each other's attention if you build in healthy places through attachment to give attention and, and each other's attention and that kind of stuff i think you're going to see more teamwork than competition and you won't see that rivalry start to grow
0: I really wanted you to do your thing
1: my maturity curve thing? yes we'll have to do that later okay. so anyway that's uh, that's what we got um Thanks for hanging in there with us. Sorry that this one ran a little little longer than what we like to. Um, but uh, if you got any questions, comments, um, shoot us a text. We would like to do some questions, answer some questions. We've got uh, six episodes out now, and I'm sure we have not perfectly explained everything. But shoot us a text or an email. Uh, email is modelparentingpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to answer some questions on the next couple of episodes. Uh, but thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.